You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud today. And the hits just keep on coming. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. Well, Grump, we're hitting that part of the season when we talked all offseason this is going to be a rebuild and easy to talk about it without suffering the pain of going through the rebuild and yesterday was definitely part of those growing pains a very uh very aggravating loss when you consider we played a team that is you know probably you know i would say a serious contender to win the nfc and going into the fourth quarter it was a game that we could have won but we're not very good right now well sure yeah it's 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 time for fans to come to the realization that the one-year rebuild is a myth, and this is year one of year two. Um, so it's going to take some time. And we're going to have to look. If you really want to continue watching the season, knowing that this team is not going to compete by week 16, week 17, um, what you need to look for are improvements along the way and things to get excited about for next year and knowing where we need to continue improving. Um, it's not exciting, but it is what it is. And realistic expectations for what is improvement. I mean, don't expect all of a sudden to see this offensive line to all of a sudden be the seven blocks of granite. Don't expect all of a sudden that there's going to be a running game out of nowhere. D- don't expect things like that. You know, don't. It, it sucks, but it's the truth. I mean, we can only do so much with the hand we are dealt, and this hand is not changing between now and free agency next year. These are the guys. You know, people bitching and moaning about, you know, any particular player on the offensive line or something, um, it's not changing. Um, The things we're going to have to look at is, really, how is this coaching staff, what are they seeing that gives us a fighting chance in some of these games and things that can be Instead of just short-term improvement, things that could be things that we carried over to next year. Um, we're going to talk, you know, a lot about some of the common complaints about this team and things we saw during this past game. But things like play calling is too conservative. You know, that is not a coaching staff who's just stubborn and just wants to be conservative. There are reasons behind that. Sure. Personal personnel decisions, and you know, the biggest thing I always harp on is that coaches do not like turnovers they that's the one thing they fear more than anything and they would rather be conservative than the potential of a turnover and the way this roster is constructed right now that it's either a combination of work in process and not very good not very deep they're not going to put this offense in a situation where Eli Manning is you know unprotected trying to do a seven-step drop and get knocked on his ass and causing a fumble where we know he's fumble He's a fumble machine for things like that. So you have to kind of look at this in a three-dimensional way, not just, you know, well, we're not we're too conservative. Why are we doing this? Why There's reasons behind it, and we'll hopefully we'll try to point those out. Yeah, and, and any notion that there is a fix or a problem is incorrect. There are many problems. There are things all over the board. So saying we need to get a quarterback, we should have gotten a quarterback, these things don't mean anything. Um, it's moot. Yeah, yeah, getting a quarterback in the last draft does not solve the problem we had at running back. Um, 
you know, getting a running back later in the draft would then leave a hole where we had drafted a good pass rusher on Lorenzo Carter, etc. So there was no one-year fix in possible here, and there is still not one fix, one solution. You know, yeah. that that is going to complete this team. There's many problems and many solutions. So the dis- the decision was made by ownership that this is the general manager and the head coach that they want. They bought into the plan that this general manager has. Short term, near term, long term, it has to be executed. Whether that's right or wrong is irrelevant right now until that plan is executed. And, and, and knowing that it's a two-year plan, that being said, you are not going to come to the conclusion at week four of year one that the plan didn't work. Right. So, like I said, any notion that, that this was a failure is premature. We don't know. I don't know. You don't know. Yeah. We don't know. We have to let it play out. So, uh, jumping into this game, the final score was 33-18, but in reality, this was a much, much closer game. I mean, it essentially garbage time. Uh, the Saints ran a 50-yard touchdown. The game was already over at that point, but really what we're looking at is it was a 25-18 to game where, uh, you know, the Giants had the lead for uh, almost the entire first half. Yeah, and let's even talk about, if you want to say, like, well, it was garbage time. Well, why did it become garbage time? This defense ran out of gas. This defense played its ass off. But you know something? When it's on the field a lot against a team like that, it's going to run out of gas. And that's kind of what happened, unfortunately. And, you know, and we I, were Fortunately, we were on the train line for that last touchdown, so we didn't have to deal with seeing it. But, you know, for a team without its best pass rusher and its – Second best cornerback. They did a good job of holding, you know, one of the three best quarterbacks in the league and one of the most explosive offenses in the league. Yeah, and I kind of want to, I, I want to give a star to James Betcher. I was looking for an individual effort on defense, and you know, there were some names that popped up, like Landon Collins had something like nine tackles, is pretty insane. But overall, it's important to note that the Saints didn't score a touchdown till the second half, and and they had. Three trips to the red zone in the first half. There's a lot that could have been done and and uh, a lot of damage that could have been done. Drew Brees came into this game with an NFL high in completion percentage at over 80%. You know what he had in this game? Without a pass rusher and without a starting corner, Drew Brees ended the game with 56% completions. Yeah, That's and, really good. And let's not use the excuse, well, it's the Meadowlands and those what conditions were ideal. I mean, that no, was, yeah, it was a, it was a beautiful day. the The truth is, what the Giants' defense did is they put good pressure up the middle, forced Drew Brees to run to one side or the other, and cut the field in half. Yeah, with good with good coverage in the back end. And Kamara didn't seem like he was that much of a threat in the first half. I mean, did we hear his name that often, or did we really fear what he was doing? No, I think the Giants got a little fucked up by Taysom Hill in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know. Hill was a guy that this that Sean Payton, you know, is a really good coach, but is using more and more in this offense, but definitely saw an opportunity to hit us as we had some trouble with running quarterbacks and the run pass option in the first three weeks of mm-hmm. the year. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, if we want to give out stars and farts, I kind of want to give a uh, – I want to give a little bit of a fart, I guess, to um, our head coach. You know, okay. the 
you know, and I'm not going to give it for the reasons why people were bitching about him. I'm not going to say, well, you know, the, the play calling was too conservative. We'll get into that in a little bit when we talk about the first quarter of the season. But the clock management in the end of the first half, I thought, was pretty bad. I mean, yeah, and they were called out on the air, too. Yeah, I mean, that's a situation. And these are the little things where if you don't have the talent to compete or something, you need to have good coaching and good coaching decisions. You know, we we make fun of guys like uh, Andy Reid for years for their bad clock management. And when you have a team, I'm not going to say they're on the ropes, but we have an opportunity to get the ball back and the opportunity against a bad defense. New Orleans is a pretty terrible defense. It's not out of the realm of possibility that if we could get the ball back with some time left to get in position for a field goal. And the way the game was playing out in that first half, those three points might have been very important. So I, I'm going I'm to give a fart to uh, to Shermer for that. And, you know, again, way too early to tell what Shermer is as a head coach. But as we mentioned, I believe, two weeks ago in the Meltdown episode, let's not forget he was terrible with Cleveland. <laughs> it's still, you know, you are what your record says you are. And little things like this are some of the types of things it's like you want to see cleaned up as a coach going forward. Well, I'm going to give him a fart, and it's partly for what you said, and it's I think mine is for the play calling. And it's not calling it conservative. I think it's calling it poor. I think it, it was panic play calling. Um, when we look at the first three drives of this game, I thought the play calling was immaculate. I mean, that first drive, the worst play, I think, was a one-yard gain. Well, I guess besides an incomplete pass, but there was a one-yard gain on an out route to Shepard. But everything else was five yards or more, and they were just moving down the field. Yeah. Uh, the second drive was hindered by uh, an offensive pass interference, where you know it's a, it's a little hard to come back when you're twenty yards behind. But uh, and then the third drive was also moving down the field just fine. They could they had no answer until Gallman fumbled and it was returned all the way to the four yard line. Well, when they were ahead, when the Giants were ahead, the play calling was diverse. And hard to defend. It utilized every weapon. On the first drive, Eli hit a different target on every single... I think Sterling Shepard was the only one to have two targets in that drive. And one of them was for a touchdown. Uh, It was incredibly hard to defend something like that. Once they fell behind, we started seeing a complete neglect of the run game. It is inexcusable, in my opinion, in any close game, which it was... To run for 13 times. That is just not defensible. Especially when the running game was working. Uh, I think minus a... If you take out a busted block where it was like a negative four-yard run or something like that, everything else was two yards or more. Mostly around four to five yards per rush. I mean, that's what you want. And if you want to design an offense in which you move Eli around and you use the play action, you have to run the ball. It doesn't matter how good Barkley is back there. If you're not giving it to him, the linebackers aren't going to bite on it. So, you know, for me, it's not conservative or anything like that. It was this panic to just try and attack a a bad secondary. You kind of have to go with what's working. Uh, I don't really care if the game plan was was to attack the secondary. It didn't really seem to be any shots downfield anyway, and shots downfield aren't going to work with a bad offensive line and no running game. You have to pick one. And since we can't change the offensive line, it's got to be the running game. Yeah. So, Go ahead. I, I, I just, I can't excuse, you know, I, I gave, uh, I guess I'll transition this way, but 
uh, Shermer is getting a fart for this the bad play calling, and it was not because it's conservative, but Barkley's getting a star because on only 10 rush attempts, he got 44 yards. I mean, we drafted a guy like Barkley. You'd hope you'd be handing it to him more than 10 times a game. Yeah, I'm going to... Um... I'm going to challenge you a little bit um, for that first half because I didn't think the running game was really working at all. And we also never – we really abandoned it earlier than that. Um, that third drive you were talking about, um, I mean, I'm going to go through the plays on it. Okay. We get the ball on the 25-yard line, first and 10. First play, deep pass, incomplete. Second, the only run in that series. Gallman ran for four yards. Um Third down, a little pass over the middle to Gallman for seven. Second play, okay, there was one more run. Gallman ran for two yards. Mm-hmm. Then a short pass to Gallman for 11 yards. Then was the another short pass to Gallman, which was the fumble and everything. We only, went, we only had two first downs on that drive. We only went 20 yards. So my, my point being really is, you know, there's a difference between a possession and a drive, and – to me, a drive is you get your third first down. Now you're moving. Um, I still think that was kind of in the gray area. But the thing was, most of that offense was I – mean, we never really even tried to establish a running game at all during the game. So, again, that might be part of your fart. But I didn't, I didn't think it was necessarily – we just abandoned it altogether for something that was really even working. Um, I will definitely give a star to Barkley because – he is working so hard, and he is creating something out of nothing. I mean, there's nowhere for him to run. And again, he's getting yards after after the first hit. Yeah, they might be three yards a carry or two on some of those runs, but those could be minus ones and minus twos. And that is a big. I mean, it's a big difference. I just I just disagree that the run wasn't working. I, I maybe it was never part of the game plan, but I mean, you look at them: run for five yards, run for five yards, run for four yards. The first play of the game was a run to Beckham that went for ten yards. I, I mean. I think on all accounts, the running game was working. Whether it was or wasn't part of the the game plan is sort of another story. But, uh, I mean, again, you kind of have to go with what's working. I think the first couple drives was such a balanced attack between run and pass that that was keeping a bad defense on its heels. Yeah, I agree. On that first and drive, I agree. As we are saying about the other drive, it was three passes and two rushes. It was four and two. Okay. Yeah. It was still, and you know, one one run for four yards. I'll take a run for four yards on every single play. I don't really care who the the talent is on the roster. If that's what's working, that's what's working. It was one for you four, know, one for four, and one for two. So yeah. yeah. No matter what your offensive game plan is, a balance needs to be struck. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter who your quarterback is and what the defense is. You have to strike a balance in order to make things work, especially in what they are trying to do with this like set up the play action thing. Yeah, um, I mean, it like seems like the only thing that was really working is that little quick little, you know, that little dump pass to the running back. I mean, it seems, it seems like they just don't have any confidence in this offensive line to pass block or to run block. And that's kind of like the – and again, I hate to keep going back to this. I know most of you people don't care, but like Florida Gators are doing the exact same thing on offense where their offensive line is very shaky. You know, it's not moving the uh, – moving the pilot off in the running game and you know the pass blocking is very shaky also so you're seeing a lot of these little quick you know passes in the flat out to the running backs and even into the wide receivers like one yard pass line of scrimmage so you know 
that seems to be the kind of the go-to bread and butter play to prevent damage. And again, it goes back to my thing about turnovers where I think, you know, they don't want, they're not going to be, people are complaining, oh, why aren't we going deep? Why aren't we opening it up? We're, we're not doing it with this offensive line. It's these one of these realities people have to get used to. It's frustrating, but it's, it's reality. Yeah, I think any blame that is being given to Eli, I try to stay completely impartial because, you know, I don't really care who I'm blaming. I'll just call it like I see it. And, you know, a lot of people that I've, I've interacted with, uh, both in person and, you know, on Twitter and so on, uh, like to just say that it's Eli choosing to dump it off. I mean, there's really not a lot open downfield. Uh, their defenses are really scheming to take away Beckham on the stretch. And where I think we got hurt in this game more than in past games was the lack of Ingram and the lack of Latimer. Those are the, the two vertical threats that that really accompany Beckham. And without both of them, you could see Eli was trying to push things to Russell Shepard, which is just not a replacement for the, those two guys. So when it's the vertical threats are just not going to be there sometimes. Yeah, it just is what it is. You can't just blame Eli for dumping it down or going through his progressions. He's going to take the safe bet. I mean, yeah, maybe he should take some risks sometimes, but you got to take what's given to you. You know, our running joke during the preseason is why are we wasting half of our time talking about the fourth wide receiver when we never see him and these guys aren't that good? Well, guess what? Who was lined up wide quite a bit yesterday? Russell Shepard out of necessity. Not because, you know, did you see Russell Shepard in the first three games when Lattimore was playing and before Ingram got hurt? No. Nope. He's out there because we need a body out there. Um, this is actually a pretty good segue for a little thing we were going to talk about where um, I mentioned it to Grump during the game yesterday, and we can now we have a little time to think about it. We're at the quarter mark of the season. You know, we're four games in. Um, I've identified, yesterday I identified five things, and it's really six, and you kind of brought up the sixth thing. What do you think the percentages are or the the weight of why this offense is so stagnant right now and not doing you know what we're hoping it would be doing? Is it the offensive line? Is it Eli? Is it the play calling slash the scheme? Is it the lack of a running game? Is it wide receivers can't get open? And then I added a sixth thing. Is it the injury to Ingram, which, you know, you're losing your third wide receiver, really, and you're losing that over-the-middle threat. So um, I know it's obviously a combination of all of these things, but what do you of all of those you know, five, six factors, what do you think is the biggest problem with this? Well, the biggest problem I would say is probably it's, – it's a little bit hard to say because we're getting into some of the coaching scheme and we're outside of the, uh, the conversation for stuff like that, so we can only speculate. But mm-hmm. I will say – I couldn't put percentages on these, but I can put them in order. That's fine. Um, I would say the O-line is the biggest problem. Uh, They are going to try and scheme things to protect the quarterback and eliminate turnovers like fumbles in the backfield, etc. The offensive line through the first two games was atrocious, more so in the second game than the, the first game. By the third game, the offensive line played really well. In this game, the offensive line didn't play all that poorly, but they didn't play great. And in, in no sense should fans get under the impression that the offensive line played great. It played well. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things to be encouraged about in the way that it's come along, 
through from week one to week four. But overall, I would say the offensive line and its inability to consistently give a clean pocket is one of the things hampering this offense. Um, after that, I would probably say it's the play calling because uh, I think the plays are there. And when the play calling is on, it seems to be working. Uh, it just seems like it's in very small bunches. It's not yeah, the consistency. You're going to hear that word coming from us the rest of the season. We want to send that, that, that consistency on this offense and little bits and fits and starts and spurts of it. Shows you the potential what it could be, but it, we're nowhere near that to say that you know this is a running game that can consistently you know get the job done, or receivers can consistently get open, or the trust to consistently throw to guys waiting for guys to get open. So, yeah, and I I think that it's important to remember that all of these guys are getting used to each other. Still, I know that's like a lame excuse, but it it is something to consider that. Pat Schirmer knows this talent only since, what, March, April, May? I mean, it's not a long time, and these players only know the playbook since March, April, May. It's not a long time. They're all sort of feeling everything out, and they're trying to get it together. I mean, this fan base is very used to years of Eli and Gilbride's system and a couple years in Ben McAdoo's system, and there was a definite consistency during their period of success, and as that period of success started to fall apart it was the consistency that, that disappeared. Um, right behind play calling, I would say, is Eli. Uh, there is a definite shift in his, I don't want to say his toughness, but he is getting a bit of happy feet, and his checkdowns sometimes are a little bit premature. Uh, they're not the wrong decision, but where we you are used to seeing Eli extend a play and be prepared to take a hit, we're not quite seeing that anymore. Uh, we're seeing him miss a couple throws, but I want people to remember that there's a revisionist history on Eli Manning is already changed is already happening. But Eli is good for one to two overthrows per game since forever. Well, so is, so is every quarterback in the league too. So that's I know, a, and yeah, quarter, it, people have to remember that. You know, but <laughs> all I'm saying is that if if you want to tell me that Eli's overthrows are a big problem to this team, you have to point out more than one or two. Uh, it's just. That is part of the game. It's not perfect every time. Tom Brady overthrows, yeah. believe it or not. We're, so, we're taping this on a Monday night, and uh, I saw Mahomes overthrow two receivers already tonight. So what does that mean? Yeah. He's, he's inaccurate? He's, he's the MVP of the league so far. Yeah. There are issues with Eli's mobility, You know, his, his hanging in the pocket, maybe hanging onto the ball when he does get hit. We can point to things, but he's not – the biggest issue with this team. Yeah. He is an issue that will need to be addressed very soon. But well, <laughs> if you if you want to say that the one thing keeping this team from winning is Eli Manning, I would say that you are 100% wrong and prepare to be disappointed. That is incorrect, and I think it's also a, a byproduct of your number one thing of the offensive line, and also of you know the play calling because of that <laughs> offensive line, which might be hampering what he does best. I mean, it's all you know is a trickle down effect, and I I agree with you wholeheartedly that you know this coaching staff they know this offense they know their personnel better than anybody is any better than any pod podcast host better than any blogger better than anybody on twitter better than anybody on espn they know they know what the limitations are of this offensive line and quite frankly of everybody on this roster more than anybody else does so you know 
because of this line, that is why all these other things are happening. Um, what do you think, though, you know, going down the other one, like, you know, are you seeing when you're watching game tape, this, these receivers are just not getting open? And that's not just because they're not good, but because of all the other factors. You know, obviously, now we're back to a situation where there's no there's no Ingram, there's no Latimer, and they're going to obviously, you know, be, be, you know, covering Beckham like a blanket. But are you just seeing everybody else on the field just not getting open when the opportunity well, presents I, itself, or is that I not think, a big deal? I think that, you know, all these things are tied together. So when I say something, I'm trying to look at it from its purest standpoint, but I'll explain where they come to be issues. So... The wide receivers are getting open, and we saw it on the first drive last game. Like I said, Eli has no issue with spreading the ball around. And when he was starting, th- these weren't tight contested catches. There were guys running pretty open with a, like a two yards between them and the defender. Uh, the wide receivers can get open, and the scheme works. But where the scheme stops to work is when the play action no longer works because either they're shutting down the running game or we've abandoned it, and the linebackers are no, no longer biting. So when that happens and the linebackers can stay back in coverage, that completely eliminates any crossing patterns over the middle of the field. You know, those wide receivers are not going to get open, and it's a product of just, you know, his own defense and, you know, having those extra defenders to guard the wide receivers. Uh, In general, in its purest form, when, you know, the play calling is balanced between run and pass and the run game is somewhat working or there's at least you know, uh, a commitment to it, these wide receivers are open. So I don't, I, that one to me is the second to last problem on this list. I would say the running game is more of a problem before that, but it's so much better than it was last year. I mean, I, I don't even think it's close when I think back on it. Uh, you know, now where we have, you know, some of it is the scheme trying to make the running plays a lot easier. The, the play calling is less predictable than it was years before. Uh, it's also individual effort by Barkley. I yeah. mean, we see things where, you know, I, I saw this is a, this was an absolutely great tweet from Dan Duggan. Uh, somebody was countering to him that Barkley wasn't doing enough and saying that if you take away his 28-yard run, he only had X amount of yards. And besides going apart and showing, you know, that he had five yards, five yards, four yards, two yards, five yards, you know, he also said, you can't subtract 28 yards from this dude. That's not an isolated incident. You take he's that's part of the package you get with him. Yeah, he's going to break one of those per game, so that's part of who he is. And not only so, that, if you're watching these games, those two yards, three yards, two yards really should be minus one, minus two, zero, yes. one. So I mean, now <laughs> you have to look at the. I know everybody's gonna go right back to well, why did we get Barkley in the first place? You know, they didn't draft Barkley to solve the 2018 problem. Correct. They 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 got him for you know the next ten years as the complement to a passing attack and with Beckham and you know whether it's Eli or the next guy, you know, to make this running game better. Um, it's a short term benefit that he is saving this running game from being god atrocious to only being yeah. just bad. <laughs> so you know. Don't look at it as, you know, we, we, we spent a lot just to make a minus two-yard run, a one-yard run. That's not the goal of this thing. So keep that that's a, in mind. That's a byproduct for this year only. Yes. Hopefully. That's yes. part of the plan anyway. Yes. 
Um, and I would say Ingram and Latimer being out is probably the lowest form. I mean, it's way too early to say something like that, but you know, to me, you have to find a way to scheme around an issue. Yeah, like that. I agree. Um, and you know, if 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 I'm going to put a high grade on that, then la- last year is almost totally a wash, right? I mean, at that point, if if I were to put that as the number one issue, I could say that last year Ben McAdoo is completely absolved from any offensive woes because his entire wide receiver core was depleted. That's yeah. obviously bullshit. Yeah. So I can't I he can't didn't make help that him. double standard. He you know, he didn't help himself, but he also had, you know, he was pissing in the wind too with having no receivers and no no running game and a bad offensive line, blah, 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 blah. But yeah. you know, you're right. You can't be absolved from that. You have to try to make the best of it. And we don't think he made the best of a bad situation. I mean, we could go on. We could yeah. have a whole episode ded- dedicated to his problems. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that. So that's that's the order I would put them in: O line, play calling, Eli, running game, wide receivers not getting open, and injuries. So I would say I'm pretty close to you, also, and I I think we both agree that a lot of those are they're not independent of each other. A lot of those are interconnected. So yeah, and then of course. you get that snowball rolling downhill, and then you have you know a team that's going to struggle to score points. You can score ten points a game. <laughs> it's 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 pure and simple. One other thing I want to mention about this game, and I'm giving a fart, but uh, it, it's a topic that needs some discussion. Uh, Pete Morelli's crew is getting a fart from me. Uh, live, I thought this game was officiated really poorly. Rewatching it is actually infuriating. So for everybody who watched at home, uh, I, I'm with you now. Yeah. Uh, that, that, there, but aside from that. I never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, blame a loss on the officiating crew. You have to play as if one bad call is going to give yeah. the other team a score at all times. The only time, the only time I've ever done that was that 2003 NFC playoff game against the 49ers, where we were um, lining up for the field goal. We were screwed, and they admitted they were wrong. But you know something? That is something that if you watch every single NFL game, the biggest complaint that everybody has is inconsistent officials and they're overzealous for calling penalties on things. And it's just something we all have to fight through. Every team has to fight through it. It's part of the, it's, there is a human aspect to this game. Not everything is reviewable and you can't have it both ways where, you know, the reviews take too much time. It takes the energy out of the game. And then also it's right there on the scoreboard. Why don't they review, you know know what I mean? Like, you got to choose, and there has to be a bit of balance. But and, and also, we talk about how the Giants are dealing with a new offensive and defensive scheme. Well, these officials are also dealing with pretty sig- sig- every year. significant changes to the rule book and more significant interpretation of those rules and a more liberal application of these rules. So they are still trying to figure out what's going on. You know, we we joke around, well, we don't know what a catch is anymore. Now we don't know what a tackle is anymore. We don't know what you know a hit on a quarterback is anymore, and their brains are scrambled too. So, but it's not just for one team; it's for both teams, and it's for all thirty-two playing each week. So, it sucks. That, that being said, it sucks. Th- but yeah, we didn't lose because of the officials. No, but to me, I, I think Pete Morelli's crew needs to be really sat down after this game and go over some of these things because they they were. It wasn't that there were a lot of bad calls. It's that the bad calls that were made were atrociously bad. Um, you know, the Janoris Jenkins horse collar call, not only was that bad, but the nearby official didn't flag it. It was the official coming from another the zip code side. through the flag yeah. and, and overruled, which was 
ridiculous. And I mean, the whole time they're talking, we were at the stadium, so we saw they were just replaying that over and over on the scoreboard. All they had to do was look up and be like, yeah, I think you're right. Sorry about that. Uh, you know, and it was a backbreaker of a play. I mean, it, it sustained a New Orleans drive. Uh, there was another, I mean, I called it out when it happened, but the field goal to end the first quarter, the clock was out. I mean, it was so clear and obvious that it, I, I don't know who's not looking at the clock. I mean, it was sitting there at zeros for seconds. Well, uh, and while that didn't change at all, that could have changed in the future in another game. It's something that really needs to be sat down and talked about. And well, my, probably one of the worst ones was at the end of the game when the Giants had the Saints on their own one or two yard line. Uh, there was a clear and obvious hold and trip of Dalvin Tomlinson that would have absolutely changed the outcome of a play uh, that just was not called. And it was it was right in front of Drew Brees. I mean, it was if you're standing back as an umpire, there's no way you can't see that. See, that's the thing is I, I've been saying this for years that instant replay has to change from something that's reactive. I'm challenging this. It's a score. I we go back and review it to being an equal member of that officiating crew, where as a play is happening, you know the um, the official gets buzzed in his ear from up top or from Secaucus or wherever the uh, you know the replay room is saying you missed something, and you know you'll see a better flow of games when things like that happen. Uh, you'll see a lot more missed calls. You'll see more right calls because, you know, again, you're only a coach only gets X amount of challenges in a game. If he has two legitimate challenges early on or something and one he doesn't get and he's out of them, a, a, a critical play could happen and he can't challenge it. And it's stupid having that technology and just, well, you're basically telling it's an adversary relationship. The coach is saying you did something wrong. Go prove it as opposed to having him an equal member of their, you know, officiating crew. I think it's going to come to that at some point because the officiating has been, you know, bad is a tough word. You know, they have a yeah. very tough job to do. The league is getting faster and faster, more passing, more wide open play. It's harder for these guys. More rules. There's more rules and there's different interpretations of, of said rules. I really think at some point that's going to be a solution is it's going to become – out of the hands of coaches and challenges and specifically part of I mean it happens in college you know they they stop the play in college if uh you know something happens and you know this you know we're getting into a league now also where there's more money involved gambling just became legal and it's not only just for fans that want to have a good time and watch their team there's being money bet on these games. In some cases, significant money. It better be right. <laughs> so yeah. Well, I mean, that's all I've really got on this game. Uh, Friday morning, you will all wake up and drive to work with our preview of next week's game, Week Five at the Carolina Panthers, uh, where we will discuss all things relevant to that, including injuries, game plan, keys to the game, etc. Um, in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at, at football underscore grump and check out all of our other podcasts at, at just giants pod, uh, and on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can catch me as always at the cranky fan on Twitter, uh, an enormous week for the grump and I, we are doing a two tiered road trip this week. We are going down That's to right. Gainesville for the, um, the Florida LSU game. 
and then hopping on a 6 a.m. flight to go to Charlotte for the Giants game. We will be, uh, you know, we'll be bleary-eyed. Hopefully, we'll be hungover with glee from a big win Saturday night because Sunday doesn't look very promising <laughs> for on a number of accounts. But uh, we will be there representing. So um, again, I'm on Twitter at the Cranky Fan. Check out this show on iTunes and SoundCloud, and my companion podcast, Mark and the Cranky Fan, where we discuss all things Florida Gators. All right, everyone. Go Giants. Giants.